Thank you, worship team. Some beautiful song. It's good to have you with us this morning. Um, if you are a visitor, we're glad that you're here. Um, if you haven't been with us, uh, we've been going through a series on 1 Corinthians. Um, we have made it to chapter 2 today. I'm going to be picking up where Kevin left off last week. And uh, essentially what's going on in this letter to the Corinthians. Uh, the city of Corinth was a very wealthy city. It was known for its philosophers. It was a port city, uh, which of course brought wealth. It brought cultural diversity. Uh, this was kind of the happening place to be when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And so he's writing to them, and within this letter, he addresses a lot of difficult topics ranging from divisions in the church to sexual immorality to lawsuits within the church. Uh, he addresses uh, spiritual gifts, which we'll get to. I'm sure Kevin's going to have a fun time with that one, right? Like all the difficult questions this church could ask, he, they pin to Paul in a letter, and this is his response to them. In the first four chapters, he's specifically dealing with divisions on the church, which is where we're picking up today. Now, the city of Corinth, and especially the church here in Corinth, is probably not too unlike uh, any other church that we've been a part of, right? The cultural idols that existed outside of the church. All the things that were going on in the city sort of found a way to creep into the church, right? And so Paul, like a good pastor, meets them where they're at, exposes their blind spots, and he doesn't do it just by wagging a finger at them. He does it by showing them the cross and showing them the gospel and its power to change and to transform lives. So this morning we're going to start reading in chapter 2. Uh, Kevin preached on verses 1 through 5 last week. I'm going to go ahead and read that along with the rest of chapter 2 just because uh, it ties together well. So let's read God's Word together beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, And I, talking about Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory." None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those that love Him. These things God has revealed to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a marvelous truth that we just sang from Zephaniah 3. 
God, that You delight over us with singing. God, so often we do not realize that truth that we are delighted in because we are in Christ. God, we live much of our lives so often uh, feeling like we're one sin away from You finally just choosing to smite us and be done with it. God, we feel that You're distant and cold so often, Lord, but that's not the Gospel that Your Word teaches us. God, Your Word says that these truths are spiritually discerned, so Holy Spirit, we're asking You to do what only You can do this morning. Lord, to nourish our hearts as believers, to correct our thinking, to open up our eyes, Lord, to truths that we don't see or that we don't yet experience. And Heavenly Father, we're also asking in humble anticipation, Lord, as boldly as we can, Lord, if there's any in here that don't know You, Holy Spirit, You would do a work that only You can do and open blind eyes to see You, Lord, to trust in Christ, Lord, and to forsake any attempts to save themselves. Lord, You do all of this and more through Your Word, Lord, and so we ask You to do it this morning. Lord, we love You and we thank You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, for whatever reason, over the past couple of weeks, I've been a little bit... Um, introspective, I guess, kind of uh, reflecting, I guess, on my teenage years, which admittedly wasn't that too far away, um, right? Not in the too distant past, but uh, as I've been talking to people in the church, especially Paul and Stacy, um, you know, bringing up stories about my childhood and, uh, you know, the, the fits I caused my parents, uh, one of the things that I have just become really aware of, especially in youth ministry, and I'm not trying to throw any students under the bus, but it becomes really apparent when you're talking to a teenager, and I know this was true for me as well, there's this awesome thing that happens around like 11 or 12, right, where somewhere in there, parents just become absolutely stupid, right? Like, somewhere in there, you guys forgot what you were doing, you don't know what you're talking about, and we got it figured out, right? 12 years of life, we have got this under control. And so, uh, as I'm thinking back on that, and I, I tried to think of like a specific story, but I don't know that any of them really do it justice, uh, because it was more of just a day-to-day battle, especially with my mom, and then dad would come in with the firm hand and put me back in my place, and that would last a day or two, you know. Um, but as I was thinking about that, it, it becomes really apparent, especially once you move out of adolescence into adulthood, that you really had no idea what you're talking about, right? Like all the times you thought, I've got this figured out, mom and dad have no idea what they're talking about. All of a sudden, and I'm sure this happens with you as parents, you begin catching yourself saying the things your parents used to say to you and you're saying it to your kids, right? Like you start realizing huh, maybe mom and dad were onto something. Maybe I didn't have all of this figured out, right? And the reason why is because there's this tremendous gap between the wisdom of a teenager and the wisdom of an adult, right? Um, and you don't realize how large that gap is until you're on the other side of adolescence. And so I was thinking about this passage this week, and I thought, what a, what a fitting illustration, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. As teenagers, you're completely clueless to how little you actually know about what's going on and what's best for you, Right? So if I can encourage teenagers just on the front end, I'm not trying to make fun of you, but I am saying listen to your parents. They do know more than you think they know, all right? Um, but how true is that with God also, right? When we think about the difference in human wisdom and God's wisdom, there's this tremendous gap that we often fail to realize is there. And that's what Paul is talking about, right? In chapter 2 and even at the end of chapter 1, Paul is basically telling the Corinthians, hey, you guys are really proud of your philosophers, the great thinkers you have living in your city. 
But you have no idea how much you don't know. The wisdom of God is far better, far higher than the best human thinking. He even goes as far as to say that the foolishness of God, as if there were any, is better than the highest wisdom of man, right? The wisdom of God is far beyond anything we can comprehend. And so today we're going to be talking about what that wisdom is. Last week, Kevin, uh, verses 1 through 5 again, just to give a brief recap. Paul's kind of describing to them the first time that he came and shared the gospel in the city of Corinth. And listen to the way he describes himself again. Uh, I hope this is an encouragement to some of you. All right? um, certainly an encouragement to me standing up here. He says, uh, For I, when I came to you, I didn't come to you proclaiming the test, or I came to you proclaiming the testimony of God, not with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And then get this, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Right? So, this is how Paul is describing himself. Tell me this doesn't just provoke confidence, right? If you're reading this as a Corinthian. Paul says, I came to you, a place that was absolutely swarming with philosophers and the deepest of thinking. And when I came to you preaching Christ and Him crucified, I was terrified. I was trembling. I didn't come to you with the lofty words of men. I didn't come trying to reason to you like a philosopher. He said, I came to you simply preaching Christ and Him crucified. So I resolved to know nothing among you except that. And the crazy thing is, is that they believed. Right? Lives were actually changed. And he says right here in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And isn't that so true? That's still how God works, right? When we think about how God works in the church and in our lives personally, God loves to use the weak things of the world to put to shame the wise, for borrowing the, the wording of chapter 1 there, right? God loves to take people who know they don't have it all together, who feel like they don't have the best words, they don't have the best resume. God loves to take those people who are aware of their weakness, who will humbly depend on Him, and God loves to work in powerful ways through them. Right? So if I can just add an encouragement on the front end, kind of piggybacking off Kevin's sermon last week, it's this. Know that in your service to the church, being a believer, as a witness to Christ and what He's done in your life... The only prerequisite there is for that service is not you having it all together, not having the best words, but it's actually being aware of the fact that you don't have it all together. Right? Uh, you being a witness for Christ, getting to share the gospel with other people just in your day-to-day life, it's not about you having the best words, not about you having it all together. It's in a humble reliance on the Spirit, recognizing that it's God who works in power and He delights in using weak, obedient people. And that ought to be really encouraging to us. So Paul continues on with his argument in verse 6, and this is where we'll be today. And again, he's still addressing divisions in the church, so we'll get down and explain later how the wisdom of God applies to divisions in the church. So, really simple outline today. It's just what God's wisdom is. We're going to talk about what this wisdom is that Paul's talking about. And then secondly, how that wisdom is received. So, read with me in verse 6. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Alright, so after spending a, basically a chapter and a half 
Paul has talked about how unimpressive his speech was. He's talked about how uh, the message that he proclaimed was simple, uh, yet it was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So it kind of leaves maybe the Corinthian church feeling like, okay, so is this, like, is the message you brought to us, is it itself foolishness? Is it weak? And Paul answers that with a resounding no, right? He says, we do impart wisdom among the mature. All right, and that word mature there is translated perfect. All right, it's teleos. Uh, it's not necessarily about spiritual maturity in terms of ranking, right? Paul's not trying to uh, paint a picture of some kind of a caste system in the church where you have your varsity level Christians that can get the really deep things of God. Then you have the JV squad who's still just kind of nibbling on the ABCs of Christianity. It's not what he's doing. All right, the Apostle Paul is saying for the perfect. Not the ones that have it all together, but the ones who have been made perfect in Christ. We do impart wisdom. So far from how we often think about the gospel, the gospel is not dull, flat, boring, irrelevant. He said, no, within the gospel is contained all of the wisdom of God. Okay, so the first thing we want to look at this morning is what this wisdom is. And there's a few things I want us to see about this wisdom. Uh, and the first, and uh, if you don't hear anything else about the sermon, I want you to hear this. The first thing I want you to see about the wisdom of God is that the wisdom of God centers on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God centers on the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so look back with me in verse 2. It says, For I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So it seems like Paul's preaching a pretty simple message, right? I just came to you preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yet in verse 7, he says that he's imparting some secret, hidden wisdom of God. So which one is it, Paul? Are you preaching a simple kind of one-line sermon? Or are you imparting some deep spiritual wisdom to us? And the answer is yes, right? Paul's doing both. Why? Because the wisdom of God, all of the depths of the riches of God's grace and mercy, they all come to their focus in Christ. In Jesus Christ, in the message of Him being crucified in our place, all of God's wisdom is put on display. So that anyone who's in Christ has access, they become the mature, the perfect, they have access to all of the wisdom of God. All right, so what is this wisdom about? Look at verse 7 again with me. It says, The secret hidden wisdom of God said it was decreed before the ages for our glory. We typically don't think about us as having any glory per se, right? It sounds a little weird to say. Paul's talking about salvation. When he says that all of this wisdom of God was decreed before the ages for our glory, he's talking about the eternal plan of salvation that God set in motion. He said it was decreed before the ages. So this wisdom that Paul is showing up and saying before the Corinthians. You can imagine if you're a person in Corinth, right, and you're used to hearing the philosophers talk in town, right? You're used to hearing these lofty words of wisdom and eloquent speech. And Paul says, no, 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 I didn't bring any of that, yet my wisdom's better. It's superior. Why? Because of who's at its center. Christ is at the center of Paul's wisdom. He's saying, don't let the simplicity of the gospel fool you. It's far from being irrelevant, dull, and flat. Just because what I came preaching to you was simple does not mean that it's boring, right? He says that we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God. So in Christ, in the message of Christ being crucified and raised from the dead for our sins, there is wisdom for every trial we will face and every need we possess. Our greatest need as believers is not self-improvement. 
It's not a checklist of things to do better to clean ourselves up. Our biggest need as a follower of Christ is the gospel because within that gospel is contained all of the wisdom we would ever need. That's not typically how we think about the gospel, right? I'm, man, I was like a, a habitual uh, vacation Bible school attender, you know. Um, I can still probably sing most of the songs. I love vacation Bible school. Uh, I still like driving over to uh, mom and dad's church and seeing their vacation Bible school sometimes because you just get to feel like a kid again. You know, vacation Bible school is awesome. Um, but I remember thinking growing up, and probably still this way for some, right? Whenever we think about the gospel, we tend to think about that as being the entryway to salvation. The gospel is simply the ABCs, kind of the basics of what you need to know. And once you get through the gospel, right, once you get through the entryway, then there's all of this other stuff that we have to learn, all this other stuff that we have to move on to. And that's actually not at all what the gospel is. Right, The message of the perfect Son of God being crucified in my place and then being raised from the dead answers the deepest longings of my heart. It answers the most difficult questions that I'm going to face in this life. It touches the deepest parts of what the human experience is. Right, To the best of my reasoning, every human being is looking for essentially four things. We're looking for a source of identity. We're looking for uh, love or self-worth. You can kind of use this interchangeably. Purpose and happiness, right? Every single person that we encounter is looking to answer the question, who am I? Am I worth anything? Am I loved and valued by anybody? What am I here for? What is my purpose? And lastly, what do I have to do to be happy? Every person we encounter is looking to answer those questions, right? And the world has this plethora of wisdom, so to speak, ways that we can answer those questions, right? There's no shortage of options out there if you're looking at the world that will try to answer the question, am I valued? Well, that's simple. Just get on Facebook and get some likes, right? Uh, who am I? It's easy, right? You need to find a, a, a CrossFit club. And I, look, I, I love CrossFit. I wish I could do CrossFit. I can't, okay? But like the world finds and invents things, good things, And it says this is where you can find identity. There's a way that we can misuse those things in such a way that that's how we're trying to answer the questions. Who am I? Am I valued? Do I have a purpose? What is it going to take for me to be happy? Well, that's easy. Just get a high-paying job, right? Make sure you take a lot of vacations, right? We answer these questions in a... Excuse me. Man, sorry about that. Uh, that'll sound really good on the recording later. But we, we try and answer those questions in so many ways and they all seem to fall so short, right? We face deep questions that we want the answers to. What will happen to me when I die, right? That's a question that we ask. It's one that keeps some of us awake at night. What's going to happen to me when I die? Can I actually change? Is there any hope? Right? We watch the news. We see that, you know, apparently the whole world's burning down around us. Is there any hope for that? When I'm confronted with my own shortcomings and sin and failures, is there any hope for change? Right? We all have these difficult, deep questions, and the world tries to throw its wisdom at us and say, well, just do this, and you'll have that answered. And the problem is that the wisdom of the world never actually seems to answer those questions for us. It never seems to actually come close to touching those issues. But yet the gospel answers those questions, right? 
The gospel of Jesus is so much more than just the entryway to salvation. It addresses all of our deepest longings and all of our deepest questions by saying, yes, you are loved. Actually, since the foundations of the world, like before time existed, God had you in mind. Yes, you're loved. In Christ, you've been adopted as a son, as a daughter, brought in as a legitimate heir with Christ. Yes, you're loved. Yes, you're valuable. In Christ, you've been forgiven. Your sins are no more. You've been given the righteousness of Christ. So yes, you can change. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. Is there hope? Yes. I've read the end of the book, right? We know what's going to happen. God's going to come and make all things new. What's going to happen to me when I die? I'm going to go and be with Jesus forever. And the answers to those questions, they greatly affect the way that we live our lives now, right? Within the gospel, in this picture of Jesus coming and taking our place on the cross, right? The perfect Savior pursuing sinful, broken humanity when we didn't deserve it, didn't ask for it. That picture, it gives us the framework for marriage. It gives us the framework for parenting, right? It reframes how we think about our work, our hobbies, our material possessions, right? Within the gospel, we find wisdom for all of life. It's more than just the ABCs, right? It, it absolutely transforms the very nature of who we are and how we handle ourselves in this world. The wisdom of God centers on Christ. And one more thing I'll say about that is, is that that truth actually becomes the litmus test for how we are to judge the advice we're given, right? If Christ is at the center of true wisdom... If seeing Christ as Redeemer and King, if that's at the center of true wisdom, then it means that any advice we get, if it does not hold Christ as Redeemer and King at the center of that advice, then it's probably not advice worth taking. Right? True wisdom has Christ as King and as Savior. 1 Peter 1.12, even speaking on this gospel of glory, says that the gospel that we've been given actually is so glorious that angels long to look into it. Right? This gospel that we have is so much more than we think it is. It's dynamic. It engages the most difficult questions that we have. second thing I want you to see, the wisdom of God is eternal. Right? It's unchanging. So the wisdom of God centers on Christ as King and Redeemer. second thing is the wisdom of God is unchanging. Verse 7 Again, it says that God decreed this wisdom before the ages for our glory. Think about that. Before the ages, before time was a thing, before the foundations of the world, this plan for salvation that God worked up to save us in Christ, sending Him in our place, right? That was the plan from the beginning of time. This was not, you know, a backup plan. This wasn't a, whoops, didn't see them sinning. I didn't see that one coming, right? Before time, before He created the human race, this was the plan. God knew we would fail, and this was His plan from before time began. Um, so, thinking on something uh, being unchanging, it's kind of difficult for us to, to fathom as humans, right? Because everything's always changing around us, right? Uh, Kaylee and I talk about that sometimes whenever we look at how people are decorating their house or the cars they drive, you know, like so on and so forth. Like we, we think about all of these things and it's easy. I've noticed being married, I probably struggle with it more than she does to just want to get in, uh, the race, right? Keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, right? We want to be, um, say we, more me, okay? But it's like, 
I want to have the nice stuff. I, you know, I want us to have the nice things they do and go to the places they go to, right? Uh, but it's interesting, and she and I talk about this sometimes, how often things change style-wise, right? Um, so what used to look good in a house maybe 10 years ago is now being ripped out and thrown to a dumpster, right? And the really cool things we think we're doing in interior decorating right now, in 10 years somebody will be throwing in a dumpster, maybe less than 10 years. Um, so the youth give me a really hard time. And uh, so I, I wear these shoes called Merrells. Do you all remember Merrells? Um, I, I really like my Merrells, okay? And they make fun of me saying they're old man shoes. Um, now, when I bought those shoes, you know, six or seven years ago, at least in my mind, they were cool. Maybe they were already out of style then. I don't know, okay? Uh, I also have a pair of Wallabies that I haven't broken out because I didn't want to embarrass the students too much. Uh, do you guys remember what Wallabies are, right? Like the little flat tan shoes made by Clarks? Okay, those were in when I was in middle school. All right, so I begged my parents, and they found a pair on sale somewhere and got me a pair of Wallabies. And I wore them out until I realized they weren't cool anymore. And my mom used to make fun of me when I bought those shoes because she said, we're paying way too much money for something that was cool in the 70s. <laughs> you know? Um, Wallabies used to be cool when my mom was a teenager, and then they were cool when I was in middle school, and now nobody would be caught dead wearing those. And Kaylee asked me, we were cleaning out our closet one day, and she said, can we just throw these away? And I said, well, no, because they'll come back in at some point, and I won't have to go spend money on them. They'll already be here, right? Uh, the wisdom of the world, the style of the world, it's always changing. But the Bible says that God's wisdom that He decreed before the ages is unchanging, right? God's wisdom has been there since before time was a thing. Yet so often we place our trust in the wisdom of men, Right? We look to the world to give us answers all the time. And the problem is that they answer the questions differently every couple of years. Right? They come up with a new answer for something. You know, so now the problem is, is that, well, the way you used to parent your kids is wrong. You need to do it this way. You know? Uh, again, I had that, that conversation with Paul and Stacy too, right? That the way we conduct our marriages, the way we conduct uh, parenting, so on and so forth, all of these things, people have different advice now than they did 10 or 15 years ago. The world's always trying to answer these questions differently, but it says that God's wisdom is unchanging. God's wisdom has been from the foundation of the world and it will always be. Next thing I want you to see is that the, God, the wisdom of God cannot be grasped merely by human perception. Cannot be grasped merely by human perception. Look in verse 8 with me. It says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. So, again, what Scripture is pointing us to is that not only does the wisdom of God center on Christ as King and Redeemer, and not only is the wisdom of God and His salvation an eternal, unchangeable plan, the next thing he says is that this kind of wisdom for salvation cannot be merely perceived by our own nature, right? Uh, look again right here in verse 9. He's actually pulling from... Isaiah 52, 65, and then Jeremiah 3. He's kind of uh, squishing some verses together here. Okay, He says, What no eye has seen, nor heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those that love Him. So get that. No eye, no eye seen, right? No ear, and no heart. What, 
what Paul is getting at here is he's completely ruling out our own ability to perceive things as humans, right? Basically, he's saying the wisdom of God pertaining to salvation in Christ is not something that we can understand just by gathering the facts, reasoning it out in our minds, and then analyzing it and saying, yes, I agree with that, right? He says, because if that were the case... Back in verse uh, 8, he said, if that were the case, if people could just understand the facts and go with it and understand the wisdom of God, then surely the rulers of this age wouldn't have put Christ to death, right? See, the issue is that as humans, not only are we constantly looking for the wisdom of the world to answer the deepest questions of our experience, but we are totally unable to actually perceive God's wisdom on our own, Right? Human understanding, when we see our own brokenness and we see our flaws, the way we typically choose to deal with that is we try to be better, right? We look to religion, we look to self-improvement, we look to all of these different things thinking, if I can just get a checklist, somebody can just give me the list and say, do these things, then I can earn my way, right? The good will outweigh the bad and God will be happy with me. And the reality of that is, no, that's not the case, right? Because the wisdom of God, seeing our need for Christ, that's something that God has to do because we can't. The wisdom of God, our need for Christ, those are things that we are unable to perceive on our own. So wisdom wisdom for salvation can only come from God. How is that so? So that's point two here. Pick up with me in verse 10. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those that are spiritual. Verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Right? So how are spiritually things perceived? If we are in need of this wisdom of God for salvation, if we need to see Jesus as Savior and King, we need to forsake our ways of just trying to be better and do the right things, and yet we can't do that on our own because we can't see it. How does that happen? It says that those things have to be revealed to us through the Spirit. Verse 10. Those things have to be revealed through the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Going again, verse 11, right? Paul uses a metaphor here. It's basically asking, well, who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God? Right? So he's he's asking a question. He uses a metaphor of the human mind in this. So uh, being married again, I've started, I've started to realize that as well as I think I know Kaylee, I'm still desperately dependent on her to tell me what she is feeling and what she's thinking, right? Because when I guess, I don't do a very good job. Uh, and, you know, likewise, right? Uh, vice versa is true for her. So the issue is that no matter how well we may know a person, no one actually knows what they're thinking and what they're feeling other than them, 
right? Uh, the spirit of that person knows them in the same way. And Paul's saying, don't, don't overextend this metaphor, but Paul's saying no one knows the mind of God, right? The innermost thoughts of God except God Himself. The Spirit of God searches, he says, the depths of God. Now, you know, the difference between a human knowing himself and God knowing himself is that for a person, right, so often we have blind spots, right? We don't see everything about us that we often need to see, which is why God gives us a spouse, right? It's why He gives us a church, is because we can't see everything about us that we need to see. So God gives us people to help us see in those blind spots. God doesn't need that, right? It says that the Spirit searches even the depths of God. He's not searching as a means to explore and find out new information. The point that Paul's trying to convey is that only the Spirit of God knows the mind and the heart of God. Why? Because He is God, right? The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a He, the Spirit of God is God. It said only the Holy Spirit knows the mind and the heart of God. And so the Spirit has to come and actually interpret the things of God to people. So my own human perception can't get the job done. I can't see God's wisdom for salvation. I need the Holy Spirit to come and do this. Now, here's where this, to me, gets kind of different from my understanding a lot of times than the way I think about it. The Spirit of God actually has to come and reveal our need for Christ and show us Christ. We tend to think about the Holy Spirit as being part two of salvation, right? Like I, I ask Jesus into my heart or whatever vocabulary you want to use, right? I sign the card, maybe you got dunked, whatever it is, and then, then the Holy Spirit comes in. And here's the awesome thing about the gospel, and it's so reassuring, is that no, salvation happened because the Holy Spirit came and initiated that salvation. Right? If all avenues of human perception have been ruled out, right? My understanding, my sight, my reasoning, all of those things have been ruled out. Something has to come from outside of me and show me my need for Christ. Something has to show me how to trust in Christ for my salvation. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. And that, that's important, right? That's not just semantics, right? The issue is, is that you and I are thoroughly undependable from a spiritual standpoint, right? Like if our salvation is resting on us, then we are really up the creek without a paddle and a big hole in the bottom of the boat, right? Like we've got a big problem if our salvation is resting on us. But whenever we understand that salvation is God initiating that relationship with us, when we, at our worst, unable to reason it, unable to deserve it, unable to even ask for it, God's salvation pursued us through the Holy Spirit, making us aware of our need, showing us the wisdom and the beauty in Christ. So if you are a doubting believer, then understand and see this for the beauty that it is, that salvation is God pursuing you. If there's anything in you that sees Christ as lovely... If there's any wisdom you see in the salvation that God has given you in Jesus, if there's anything you find in Him that's beautiful, that's compelling, that you desire to obey, to follow, that desire did not come from inside of you. That came from the Holy Spirit. Right? That's God's Spirit pursuing you. This is not you reaching out trying to get the attention of a God who's distant and unconcerned. This is God from before the foundations of the earth purposing to make mankind knowing that we would fail and then still choosing to redeem us by sending the Holy Spirit.
If there's anything in you that draws you to Christ, that's not you. It's the Holy Spirit doing that. It's evidence that God is pursuing you. So here's the here's the question. We'll kind of close here. Um, how does this impact division the church, right? If Paul's talking about division the church in chapters 1 through 4, and yet we kind of find this spot here where he's talking about the wisdom of God, what on earth does that have to do with division? Look back in chapter 1. <clears throat> we covered this uh, a few weeks ago. Um, verse 12, or well, actually starting verse 11. It says, It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? All right. The issue is these people are dividing themselves into their little groups, trying to identify themselves by leaders in the church. And you look at the last group there, those that say, well, I'm with Christ. I'm not with Paul or Apollos, I'm with Christ. Why is Paul rebuking that? Because each of these groups, the reason they're kind of sectioning off and dividing into groups is because they're trying to justify themselves. Right? There's a desire in the church to get in the right group, to do the right things, to say the right things, to identify yourself with the right people. And if I just get over here in this group, then I can, you know, then I'm, I'm better than these other folks. I got this. And what the gospel actually does, when we understand this message of Christ crucified, and the Holy Spirit pursuing us, is that it completely undermines all of our attempts to justify ourselves, doesn't it? Any desire in us to make ourselves good enough or do the right things in order to get God's attention and be on His good side, have our good outweigh the bad, the message of the cross destroys that, right? The message of the cross, Him, the message of the cross and Christ crucified means that any attempt on my part to save myself is foolish. So the reason they were dividing up is because they were trying to justify themselves. And Paul says, well, that's destroyed if you see the wisdom of Christ. There is no need to justify yourself. Why? Because it was the Holy Spirit that came and showed this to you. It wasn't that someone said it the right way and that's why it clicked. It's not that you're in the right group of people. No, it's that the Holy Spirit came and showed you these things. And even more, he says, all of the guys who were preaching to you, Apollos... Peter, Paul, right? The guys you're dividing up into groups, the only reason they were able to communicate anything to you and have any spiritual impact is because it was the Holy Spirit doing the work. So that's how Paul, and Kevin will be preaching on this next week, that's how Paul can go on to say in chapter 3, who then is Apollos? Who's Peter? Who am I? Right? That's how he can go on to say that it's not the messenger that's important. It's the message itself and the Holy Spirit working for the salvation of God's people. So again, I would say, in your own life, you know, God may be using you to reach people in your circle, right? You might be ministering well to people at work, uh, people in your family, people in your home. You might have had people do that for you, right? I guarantee you every person in here has a story about someone who took time to minister to you and to see you grow and mature in the faith, right? But it wasn't really them, right? It wasn't that person. It's not you doing the good in other people's lives. It's the Holy Spirit doing that work. So who is Zach Martin? Who's Kevin Corley, right? It's not anybody in this room doing any work in anybody else's life, 
It's the Holy Spirit doing the work, causing us to grow and to mature. Um, so, for the believer, this final encouragement, and we'll be done for the morning, okay, and we'll go to soup Sunday because everybody's getting hungry. Um, final encouragement is this. If you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, please be encouraged in that, that it's the Holy Spirit that sought you out. Uh, it is God that initiated salvation. So even every time we pick up our Bible and we pray, uh, that is not us initiating relationship with God. It is a response to what God has already done. Um, and it also means that this gospel is actually what we need the most, right? Um, if all of the wisdom of God is contained in the gospel of Christ, then it means that what you need most is not a how-to list, Right? It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not more rules. What you actually need is the gospel of Christ to become so real to you by the power of the Holy Spirit that it transforms who you are and it affects the way that you are with your spouse. It affects the way you parent, the way you work your job. The gospel is what we need most. And with the help of other people and with the help of the Holy Spirit, what actually happens is when that gospel comes in and takes root, we begin to see how that gospel shapes every other area in our life, and it begins to look more and more like Christ. We don't go beyond the gospel to get those things. No, we just go deeper into it. Um, second thing is if you're in here and you're not in Christ, and your life has been marked by just trying to do the best you can and earn your way, the good news is anybody can get in on this gospel, Right? Jesus' sacrifice is more than sufficient to cover any wrongs in our past, any sins even that we committed this morning. God's salvation is available for each and every single person that will turn to Him in faith. And so, if that's something that you have questions about, need to talk to somebody about, any of the elders in this room would be great guys to talk to about that issue. But don't leave without getting that resolved today. Church, that's the gospel. And it's not deserved. Fortunately, we serve a God who's not interested in waiting on us to clean ourselves up before we can come to Him. So, that said, let's go ahead and pray. And I'll ask the worship team to come up here and lead us in a closing song. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for disclosing this hidden, mysterious wisdom to us. Lord, for centuries your people only got glimpses of the salvation that you were going to offer to them. Lord, in prophecies, Lord, they only saw pieces. But Lord, when Jesus came, God, it's like you you pulled the curtain back and you showed us your wisdom and your eternal plan for saving us. And so God, for believers in here, Lord, I ask that we would be encouraged, that we would be nourished again and again and again by the gospel, Lord, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would show us where that gospel affects us, where it changes our hearts and affects us in every area of life, Lord. And again, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, the Holy Spirit, we draw them to yourself this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.